This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We then put our heads together and built this tool that help our members think through collectively what your market looks like today from a payer enrollment perspective, and then take into account some of the nuances and local dynamics that might change those enrollment patterns in the future to forecast out the coming five years. Hi, welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Trevor Duran. Today, I have Brian Esser and Tori Ritchie. Together, we built our insurance coverage forecast. We've done this the last few years, same bat team, same bat channel here to think about all the forces impacting insurance coverage, payer mix, et cetera, how they are obviously all interconnected. This year was a year like no other in terms of how members move between insurance products. We'll talk through some of the big forces there and some of our outputs and our expectation for how that's going to change over the next five years. Tori, you're really the leader of this three-ring circus every year. Give us the overview why do we build an insurance coverage forecast? There's not really anything else like it in the marketplace. What do our members use it for? Why do we go through this every year? Thanks, Trevor. Our members have good data on what their internal payer mix is, but there really isn't a single source out there that triangulates actual enrollment for their service area population. And so that was really the crux of the question being asked time and time again. I understand that my payer mix is X percent commercial or X percent Medicaid, but what's the real market opportunity here? We then put our heads together and built this tool that really pulls any enrollment data that we can get our hands on in addition to just our local understanding of markets and enrollment patterns, then put population counts to these financial groups and help our members think through collectively what your market looks like today from a payer enrollment perspective, and then take into account some of the nuances and local dynamics that might change those enrollment patterns in the future to forecast out the coming five years. The glimpse inside the sausage factory, the fun part is we really divide it up by payer class. We each get to do research in our own little world and then come and sort of pitch our idea to each other and pick it apart. This year, I got to do Medicare. We all know the overall the Medicare bucket's growing, but the question we wanted to answer was how much is going to continue to shift into Medicare Advantage. There's been two trajectories of MA growth over the last 10 years. Seven or eight of those years were pretty consistent where Medicare Advantage penetration as a portion of total eligible sort of picked up a percent a year nationally. It climbed from the mid-20s to the lower 30s over that time. Then the last three years, it's just accelerated so fast where now it's picking up 2 or 3% nationally a year. And so we had to decide, were there some set of conditions that made the last couple of years unique and we think growth is going to level out again, or do we think that fast pace is going to continue? And largely, we think the fast pace is going to continue at least for the next couple of years. The current administration have tried a few tactics throughout the spring and summer to really highlight some of the ways in which MA payers were capturing a lot of value created by MA, and it was costing taxpayers more than traditional Medicare. But they sort of shied away from some of the big fights around rates and rebates in the short term. We think that scrutiny is going to continue and could lead to some regulatory changes, but those probably won't be for a few years. 
we're keeping that pretty fast pace of growth because ultimately payers understand that consumers are choosing MA because it's generally, they're picking low premium plans. It's generally an economic decision. They're supporting that with this huge increase in supplemental benefits, which we really don't have great data to understand the impact those make on health outcomes. Payers have said very clearly, they know the impact it makes on enrollment, and so they're going to stick with it. We did forecast a little bit of uh, geographic variation, smaller counties where MA is just not as big, there's more growth opportunity. And so we're forecasting those are going to grow faster. Places where Medicare Advantage penetration is just lower, there's pockets all over the country. Boston and Chicago are two of the biggest cities that still have pretty modest penetration. And we're forecasting that any of those places where penetration is lower, payers just see those as growth opportunities and they're investing marketing dollars there. I was in rural Arkansas two weeks ago. There wasn't a TV commercial for MA. It was an hour and a half infomercial about Humana Medicare Advantage. And I said, yep, okay, they're coming for this tiny market because penetration is low. In some ways, Medicare and Medicare Advantage is one of the more straightforward ones to predict. Uh, Maybe that's why they give it to me because there's pretty good data. We can track things monthly and we have pretty good visibility. Brian, you have to tackle Medicaid where it's less of a national trajectory and more at a state level. How are we projecting Medicaid enrollment is going to change over the next five years. Yeah, Trevor, like you talked about with Medicare, it's interesting as you think across payment classes and insurance coverage between Medicare, Medicaid, the exchanges, and then try to layer over that the policy or payment dynamics coming from the federal level and then the state level where Medicaid would play and think about the push and pulls on all the different payer classes and then ultimately residing in and ending up in enrollment. What are the trends and trying to think about those moving forward, which is why we probably do it every single year, allows us to back up and say, maybe we're on the right path and maybe we weren't. So we get the luxury of a redo annually. But on the Medicaid side, we did not predict well from 2019 heading into 2020, the upsurge. I totally missed the pandemic. I'll own that piece. But Medicaid surged significantly in 2020. So we saw a jump from roughly around 70 million in early 2020 to upwards of 80 to and a half million by spring of this year. That obviously varied across the states, but that surge is hopefully going to begin receding nationally due to the public health emergency. States aren't necessarily allowed to disenroll folks until the public health emergency is declared over. And we don't forecast that ending anytime soon. There's 90-day extensions that HHS can do. And we would expect that, especially with the new variants coming out, to be extended at least till mid-22. That PHE and disenrollment dynamic and really maintenance of eligibility will continue for Medicaid, making it hard for states to push people either towards commercial or the exchanges in an aggressive manner. We thought beyond 2022, towards the mid-25 and 27 timeframe, the debate begins to start sending around, well, what are the state's approaches to Medicaid? A, are they expansion or non-expansion states? And will some of the non-expansion states think about expanding in that time frame? Secondarily, the political dynamics of do they believe in Medicaid and will they be aggressive in disenrollment or not? And how do they overall view the program in a statewide basis? That's the pitches and pools that we're thinking about. We have some recently expanded states, some that have been expanded for a while into states like Florida and Texas that we don't expect to expand and have a large influx right now. And how they disenroll that and the aggressiveness will have an impact on our members who have large Medicaid populations and are serving those populations, but are trying to forecast, will those populations go down to church status? 
rolled to the exchanges or get commercial insurance. So some dynamics there. And then you throw on the exchanges and sort of the current discussion within the federal level around the reconciliation package. And do we really expand exchanges via subsidy to cover and really fill a gap where Medicaid would have if they had expanded? So there's some subsidy discussion there. We'll see if that actually comes to pass. But that could be an interesting play where you see folks from Medicaid in these states rolling out of the exchanges as they begin to disenroll folks in an aggressive manner. Tori, the exchanges have always been a fairly small sliver of overall insurance enrollment, but I know we tried to correct for some expansion there and then forecasting a decent amount of expansion uh, through this time period. What are you seeing in that area? Reflecting in last year's output for this forecast, Hicks enrollment is really where we missed the mark. We pretty significantly underestimated the number of Hicks enrollees. And so that was an area that we put a lot of effort in right-sizing this year. At this point, we know that there are roughly 12 million people across the country that are enrolled in an exchange plan. So we made sure to capture that size of the population. Thinking five years from now, in addition to some of those policy changes that might be coming into effect, we had a couple of levers to think through. Number one, how is Medicaid expansion likely to impact the exchange market? There aren't many states where this is still applicable, but in states where they've recently expanded, Missouri, Nebraska, we wanted to make sure to capture that nuance. Will there be some sort of depletion of the Hicks population as those that become eligible for Medicaid enroll in a Medicaid plan instead? So that was one trend we captured. Number two, that removal of the public health emergency. So when we finally hit a time where we've moved out of the emergency and states are able to reduce their Medicaid population, that's going to contribute to a large swath of individuals that were previously insured that are now not insured, a good portion of these individuals are likely to be eligible for subsidies on the exchanges. And so what proportion of that population is going to enroll in HICS down the road? We've also heard news of navigators being employed to pull new individuals out of that uninsured class and push them onto HICS. We haven't heard at this point exactly how those navigators will be rolled out across markets by this new administration, but it'll be interesting to see what impact does this have on overall enrollment in this particular financial group. And then finally, I know that we're tired of thinking about and talking about COVID, but we would be remiss not to consider this as unemployment is still recovering. So we might see some attrition here as folks perhaps enroll in commercial plans due to new jobs that they secure down the road as well. That's a good transition to talking about the biggest factors that we thought about around commercial enrollment, because so much of it is connected to the way we think about how the employment market is going to continue to shift next year. For the commercial perspective, we anticipate that unemployment will rebound to pre-pandemic levels by some point next year. It's backing into what percentage of those individuals even had an employee-sponsored plan before the pandemic. And so just proportionally, how do we reallocate those populations to a commercial plan versus uninsured versus the exchanges? We looked at historical enrollment data. So pre-pandemic, proportionally, how were these people allocated across the financial groups and then just eased them back towards those rates over time? 
Yeah, I think that's a big one, Tori, because when we think about Medicaid and that growth of 11 and a half million enrollees through the pandemic, that was driven by mostly individual adults. We didn't see a huge upsurge in CHIP enrollment at the same time. Those individuals, as the Medicaid program sorts itself out, where do they land, either HICS, commercial or uninsured, state by state? The overall revenue opportunity for our health system members will vary significantly. So we need to think about and monitor some of those interplays. The commercial class will be fascinating because we're in a labor shortage. So the idea of benefits attracting talent for the employers will potentially put pressure on some of the strategies the employers were using on high deductible health plans or narrow networks. And will they steer away from some of that in order to attract talent with more open networks, more choice on the benefit side? There's that talent attraction dynamic versus the cost escalation of just healthcare for the employers themselves. We know it continues to rise and it's a line item expense that they're trying to manage aggressively. Is there a direct to employer play? versus open network. And what's the interchange there on the commercial side will really be fascinating to watch as it plays out. Couldn't agree more. It becomes just a question of as employers try to manage these increase in cost, who bears the responsibility? Who bears the brunt for it? Is it something that gets passed on to the employees? Is it something the employers have to absorb? Or do the employers kind of band together and push back against the payers to ultimately drive down cost? It's fascinating to think about the different ways that this could fall down the pike. Yeah. And then don't forget, we have price transparency dynamics going on. So pricing is coming into the market, which will fuel some of that fire. And then surprise billing regulations starting here in 22, which will impact most likely commercial and maybe some of the Hicks side as well. Yeah. And we'll link in the description to the recent webinar that Brian and our colleague Valinda Relish did around some of those key payment and policy impacts across payer classes. That's a helpful way to dig deeper into a few of these trends. Tori and Brian, I miss chatting with you guys every week about this stuff. So thanks for letting us have one last hurrah. Thanks for talking through some of the biggest dynamics shaping our insurance coverage forecast this year. Thanks so much for listening to SG2 Perspectives. As always, I really value your feedback, input, comments, or ideas for episodes. And you can reach us at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Additionally, I recommend that you check out some of the other Vizient podcasts, which cover a range of clinical and operational areas. Those can all be found at vizientinc.com backslash podcasts. Mm-hmm.